the first lesson, which is also the sermon text of Genesis chapter 18. So the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very flagrant, I will go down now and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has come to me. If not, I will know. The two men turned from there and went toward Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Abraham approached him and said, Will you really sweep away the righteous along with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep them away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous who are in it? You would never do such a thing, killing the righteous along with the wicked, treating the righteous the same as the wicked. You would never do such a thing. The judge of all the earth should do right, shouldn't he? The Lord said, If I find 50 righteous people within the city of Sodom, then I will spare the entire place for their sake. Abraham answered, See now, I who am but dust and ashes have taken it on myself to speak to my Lord. What if there are five fewer than 50 righteous? Will you destroy the entire city if the number is five short? He said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. He spoke to him yet again and said, What if only 40 are found there? He said, I will not do it for the sake of the 40. He said, Please, do not be angry, my Lord, but I will speak again. What if 30 are found there? He said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. He said, See now, I have taken it upon myself to speak to my Lord. What if there are 20 found there? He said, I will not destroy it for the sake of the 20. He said, please do not be angry, my Lord, but I will speak just once more. What if 10 are found there? He said, I will not destroy it for the sake of the 10. As soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham, the Lord went on his way, and Abraham returned to his place. The word of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. There is no denying it. She can see it plainly. Every month, when she looks at her bank statement, she can see there is more going out than there is coming in. And the price of everything just keeps going up. She did get a raise, but it's not even enough to cover the difference between what things used to cost and what they cost now. And at this rate, she's going to go bankrupt just buying diapers for her baby. So, what should she do first in this situation? First, should she call up her credit card statement from last month and look for any subscriptions that she's paying for, maybe that she's not using anymore, or any discretionary spending in her budget that maybe she should cut out? Should she do that first? Or should she start looking maybe for a second job? Add a few hours on the weekend to help bridge the gap. Maybe she should do one of those things. Maybe she should do both of those things. But not first. There's something else she needs to do first. He walks back out of his doctor's office just got the bad news that despite 
All of the treatments he's received, stage three has progressed to stage four. What should he do first in that situation? Should he say, you know what? As long as I'm still breathing, there's still a chance. And I'm going to go find some even more aggressive treatments, and we're going to still try to turn this thing around. It's not too late. Or should he say, you know, it's pretty clear now that the Lord is about to call me home, and I'm just going to go make sure my house is in order, try to enjoy as much as possible whatever time I have left in this world, and then go meet my Savior. What should he do first? Well, before he does either of those things, there is something else he needs to do first. She is sitting in church on Sunday morning, and once again, she has an entire pew to herself. She wishes that it was not that way. She spent last night, Saturday night, calling around to her children and her grandchildren, encouraging them again to come and worship with her on Sunday morning. She even tried to get her husband out the door. He wouldn't budge. So here she is again by herself. And on the way out of church, she asks herself, what should I do now? Should I just give up? Should I try again next week? And if I do, what, what approach should I take with my children? Should I scold them and shame them and say, I raised you better than this? Or should I try again a little gentle gospel encouragement? Hey, Jesus loves us. Why don't you come and hear about it with me? Well, before she does anything else, there's something she needs to do first. Abraham has just heard the Lord say, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very flagrant, I will go down now and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has come to me. If not, I will know. Well, of course, the Lord already knows everything. He is saying these things out loud for the benefit of Abraham. So Abraham will know that the Lord is about to do something very bad to the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. The Lord says these things out loud as an alert to Abraham. Something big is about to happen to Sodom and Gomorrah because Abraham has a nephew named Lot. Lot and his family live in the city of Sodom. Now, Lot has plenty of flaws. He does silly things, such as move into Sodom. But Uncle Abraham loves his nephew Lot. And he doesn't want to see anything bad happen to his nephew Lot and his family. So this is very bad news for Abraham personally, that the Lord is about to rain down destruction on Sodom and Gomorrah. So in this situation, what should Abraham do first? He actually has a lot of options. He could panic. Panic is almost always an option. He could stand around and worry about what's going to happen to Lot. Abraham, he's very rich. Abraham is so rich that he has his own little miniature personal army. So what Abraham could do first in this situation is swing into action. Tell his army to sweep into Sodom, scoop up Lot and his family and save them before the fire and brimstone come raining down. There are all kinds of things that Abraham could do first in this crisis situation. The very first thing he does before anything else is pray to the Lord. And in a few minutes, we are going to look kind of closely at what Abraham 
prays, how he prays to the Lord. But first, we notice when Abraham prays. He prays before he does anything else. First, he prays to the Lord. And of all the things that he could do first in this situation, why does Abraham choose first to pray? Because his Lord on this day has come to visit Abraham. And this is actually not the first visit that the Lord has paid to Abraham. Many years before this, the Lord visited Abraham and promised him that he would have a son, an heir. And the Lord also promised Abraham that one day that son would turn into a great nation, descendants so many that Abraham would not even be able to count them. And then the Lord also promised, most importantly, that from that nation, from those descendants, would be a blessing for all the people in the world. That visit was many years before this visit. And in all the years in between, Abraham has seen exactly zero progress on those promises. He and his wife Sarah were already too old scientifically to have children when the Lord visited them the first time. Now they're even older and still no son. And of course, if they don't have a son, then they can hardly become a great nation and it won't be possible for all the people in this world to be blessed through Abraham's family. So the Lord comes back to Abraham. He visits him again on this day, many years later, to assure him that these things will, will happen. The Lord comes back and visits Abraham to promise him again that although you have seen no progress on this so far, all of my promises will happen. One of the men said, I will certainly return to you when this season comes around next year. Then your wife, Sarah, will have a son. Sarah was listening to this from the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well into old age. Sarah was past the age for childbearing. Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out, will I have this pleasure, since my Lord is also old. The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really give birth to a child though I am old? Is anything impossible for the Lord? At the set time next year, I will return to you, and Sarah will have a son. The Lord visits Abraham on this day to tell him, these things are going to happen. You are going to have a son, and this time the Lord even puts a time limit on when it's going to happen. You will become a great nation, and all the people in this world will be blessed through your family. And when the Lord makes this visit to Abraham on this day, he comes in the flesh. He appears to Abraham as a flesh and blood human being. The fancy word for that, by the way, is a theophany. The Lord appears in the flesh so he can look Abraham in the eyes and renew his promises and say, these things will happen. And it's at that moment that the topic turns to Sodom and Gomorrah. And the Lord informs Abraham that he's about to rain down brimstone, the Lord's wrath on those wicked cities. And that, in that crisis moment, Abraham now has to decide, what do I do first? And of all the things Abraham could do first, he prays, he speaks to the Lord, because the Lord has come and visited him in the flesh to renew his promises. And if the Lord loves Abraham enough, and cares about him enough to come to him in person with his promises, then of course the Lord will listen to what Abraham has to say. And if the Lord loves him enough to do that, 
then of course, the prayer that Abraham prays to the Lord will be more powerful and more effective than any worry that Abraham can worry, or any panic that Abraham can panic, or any force that Abraham can force. So first, he prays to the Lord, who loves him enough to come to him in the flesh with his promises. So what should she do first as she considers her financial situation? What should he do first as he leaves his doctor's office? Or as she leaves church alone on Sunday morning? Well, what these Christians in these situations should do eventually might be a matter of debate and discussion and judgment. But what each of them should do first in each of those difficult situations is not up for debate. They should follow in the footsteps of their father Abraham, and before they do anything else, first they should pray to the Lord, and they should do it for the same reason that their father Abraham did. God promised Abraham he was going to bless every person in this world through his family. And in order to keep that promise to you and me, the Lord came and he visited us in person, in the flesh. God came into this world in the flesh on Christmas night in Bethlehem, a squiggly little baby boy, and he came to keep that promise to bless all the people in this world with salvation from God. In order to keep that promise God made to Abraham, he came to us in the flesh and he lived a perfect life for us. He lived a life of perfect prayer for us sinners who too often worry first or panic first or just swing right into action because, hey, God helps those who help themselves, so I don't need to take time to pray. Jesus came and prayed perfectly for us. He prayed on the mountaintops. He prayed in the garden the night before he died. He prayed alone. He, he prayed in groups. His first instinct was always to pray to the Lord. He did that perfectly for us. And he did everything else perfectly for us too. And to bless us for eternity, God in the flesh allowed his holy body to be nailed to the cross as the sacrifice for our sins. And in the flesh, he rose from the dead and ascended back to the right hand of his Father. So why should Christians in difficult situations pray first like Abraham? Just like Abraham. God has come to us in the flesh to keep his promises to us. You know, just like Abraham, God keeps coming back to us. He visits us again and again in the flesh to strengthen our faith and renew his promises. Every time you come to communion, that's what Jesus is doing for you. He's meeting you in person to renew his promises. This is my body. This is my blood. It's Jesus in the flesh for the forgiveness of your sins. Abraham understood that the Lord loved him enough to come in person with his promises. So when Abraham found himself in a crisis, he prayed first to the Lord. And when we Christians find ourselves in crisis situations, we pray first like our father Abraham because we also have a Lord who loves us, who comes to us in person to save us. Now, besides teaching us when to pray first. Abraham also teaches us quite a bit about how to pray. First we see that Abraham prays with a faith that is fully confident. Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Abraham approached him 
and said. Now by this time in the story, Abraham understands that these three men who have dropped in on him on this day are heavenly. Two of them are angels, and one of them, the leader, is the Lord himself. So Abraham understands, this is God in front of me. Later, we will hear Abraham acknowledge about himself that he is a sinful human being. He is nothing but dust and ashes. So where do, does a dust and ashes human being get this confidence, the nerve to stand in front of the holy God? Moses says he remained standing in front of the Lord, walked up to him, approached him, and spoke. Just confidence come from? Abraham knows that the Lord is his friend. This is the Lord who has come to him in person with his promises. So the Lord is, so Abraham is confident to speak to the Lord. And we have that same confidence in our faith. Because we know that the Son of God came to us in the flesh. He took away the stain of our sin and made us right with God. We are also the Lord's friends. He wants to hear us speak. And even more than his friends, we are his dearly beloved children. So we have the same confident faith to speak to the Lord that Abraham did. But then, Abraham takes it even a step beyond confidence, and he displays boldness when he speaks to the Lord. Listen to the manner, some of the language that Abraham uses when he speaks to the Lord God of the universe. Will you really sweep away the righteous along with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep them away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people who are in it? You would never do such a thing. Killing the righteous along with the wicked, treating the righteous the same as the wicked, you would never do such a thing. The judge of all the earth should do right, shouldn't he? Now that is like right on the borderline of what my mom would call sass. <laughs> but it's not sass. It is a bold prayer. Abraham can say these things to the Lord because the Lord has told Abraham certain things about himself. The Lord has told Abraham that he is a gracious and merciful God. So all Abraham is doing here is holding God to what God has told Abraham about himself. That is the boldness in prayer that Abraham shows and we can show too. Because God has told you certain things about himself in his word. He has told you that he is gracious and compassionate and merciful. So when you pray, you can be bold to hold God to the things he has told you about himself. God has also made you promises in his word. He's promised you the forgiveness of sins in his son, to work all things for your eternal good, to give you the things that you need for your physical life in this world. And when you pray, you can be bold to hold God to the promises that he has made to you. Now, you do have to be a little bit careful in this boldness. If you're going to hold God to something he has said about himself, you should really make sure that he has said it about himself. Don't just assume things about God. Go to the Bible and see what he says about himself. And if you're going to hold him to promises that he's made to you, you better make sure it is a promise that he has made to you in his word. But if it is something he has said about himself or a promise that he has made to you, be bold, like Abraham, in your prayer. Now, Abraham has this confidence, even boldness, as he prays, but he also manages to maintain humility when he prays at the same time. Abraham answered, See now, I who am but dust and ashes have taken it on myself to speak to the Lord. So in one breath, 
Abraham is confident and even bold. And in the next breath, he's totally humble, admitting that by his own merit, he has no right to be speaking to the Lord whatsoever. And this is a God-pleasing way to pray, to pray, to walk this tightrope of having confidence and boldness in what Christ has done for you and what God has told you about himself and also the humility to know that God's grace in his son is the only reason you have the ability to talk to God. If you keep both of those things in mind at the same time, they balance each other and your prayer stays upright at 90 degrees, just like Abraham. Bold and confident in the Lord and humble in ourselves. Finally, Abraham also teaches us that when we pray, we should keep at it, be persistent, and not give up. You probably noticed, as you were listening to this story, that Abraham started the bar of required righteous people in Sodom at 50. And then he started dropping it by 5. And then it's almost like Abraham had the feeling that he should really give it some gas and take it down faster to 10. Like, he didn't want to use up too much of the Lord's time. And when I read this story, to be honest, there's a part of me that says, you know what, Abraham? We all know you're going down to 10, so why don't you just take it down to 10? And maybe when you were listening to the story, sitting in the pew this morning, maybe there was a part of you that said, Abraham, get on with it. Just take it down to 10. But you know who never expresses any irritation or annoyance with Abraham? Who does not interrupt him and say, Abraham, we're losing daylight. Just take it to 10. The Lord. The Lord never. The Lord just stands there and patiently listens to Abraham go on and on in his prayer. Now, why? Well, when God visited us in the flesh, you heard him say this morning, I tell you, keep asking, and it will be given to you. Keep seeking, and you will find. Keep knocking, and it will be opened to you. The Lord encourages. He rewards this kind of persistent prayer. Now, he does tell us in Scripture not to just babble and fill our prayers with rambling repetition and mistake that for persistence. But you cannot accuse Abraham of doing that here as he prays from the heart for the safety of his nephew. And you can't accuse any Christian of that who just refuses to give up when at first the Lord does not give them what they have asked for. God rewards a hearty faith that keeps at it in prayer. It will be given to you. You will find. It will be open to you. First, Abraham prayed to the Lord because he's the Lord of promises who loved Abraham enough to come to him in person and refresh those promises and renew Abraham's faith. The Lord has also come to us in the flesh to keep his promises, and he keeps coming back to us in the flesh to renew our faith. So first, before anything else, like our father Abraham, we pray, and we do it the way that Abraham did, with confidence and boldness in the Lord, with humility in ourselves, without giving up. Amen.